The views and opinions of this program are expressly those of the host and callers, not those of the staff, crew, and management. Viewing and listening discretion is advised. And now, you may remove your pants. Hello, I'm Anthony Sullivan, the British guy with the bad teeth. With oil prices at an all-time high, here's an idea that couldn't have come at a better time. The new Wee Wee Converter from Sinclair. The 2WC is easy to install and works like any other inline fuel filter. Simply insert your nozzle into the tank like this and the 2WC will convert your bodily fluids into a noble high octane gas. So noble in fact, it cleans your injectors, increasing your car's performance. So the next time you have to pull over, why not make yourself useful by calling the number on your screen? To receive your Sinclair Wee Wee Converter. To order your 2WC, call 1-800-FILLER-UP and save thousands of dollars in gas for the low price of $19.95. Order within the next 10 minutes and receive a free 2WC Straddler attachment for the ladies. Call now. The Nicole Sandler Show. I'm Brittany Summers filling in for, and everything is working today. And if there's no audio, well, uh, this is all being recorded as we speak. So YouTube is working, ladies and gentlemen, if you can access uh, the show there. And uh, a couple things I wanted to bring to your attention uh, quickly. Uh, Well, we got Tim Canova coming on, so I don't know if I'm going to get to this, but I wanted to talk about the anti-Semitism Trump displayed yesterday at the uh, presser. Uh, uh, That was uh, disgusting. I have the audio from that, but that'll be coming up in a moment. Yes, happy Friday, everybody. Hi, chat. Hi, Yahoo. Yahoo, Yahoo, chat. I'm getting used to Yahoo Junction up in the mid-state of Florida. And speaking of Florida, uh, we're going to be having in just a few moments, as soon as I can get this uh, thing over here, joining us will be uh, Professor of Law and Public Finance at Nova University, Shepherd Broad College of Law, and I put the broad in Broad College. 
Uh, he's a recent challenger to Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who is at home now, right now, smoking a pack of Benson and Hedges. And I bring you, ladies and gentlemen, Tim, are you there? Hi there. How are you? Hi, Tim. I bring you, ladies and gentlemen, the next president of the United States, Tim Canova. Uh-huh. Welcome to the show. <laughs> That's pretty funny, Brittany. <laughs> I hope it's not. <laughs> I'm well, thank you, and thanks for uh, uh, joining me today. Uh, I was going to have a, uh, uh, another attorney scheduled, but he got sick for uh, uh, regarding net neutrality, but that did not materialize, and uh, I'm so grateful that you got to be with us today. Perhaps as, for an hour, I mean, as long as you like to talk about uh, what we're going to talk about, it's all right with me, and I'm sure the, the audience loves you, by the way. Fantastic. Well, it, it, I always enjoyed being on with Nicole in the past, so it's great to be on again with, with the audience with you. Well, she'll be back uh, next Tuesday, and Sanity will return to NicoleSandler.com. Uh, Nicole uh, great. So let me ask you, do you, do you feel as I do that we are presently, all of us, witnessing the workings, uh, the birth of a new fascist dictatorship and what we're seeing on television is subterfuge? Um, I wouldn't use that kind of wording myself. Um, You know, there are fascist policies this country has had even in the past. And I mean, the recent past Um, are things getting worse in the Trump administration. No doubt they are. Uh, And on so many different fronts at the same time that it's difficult to know where to start and what to fight first. And, you know, um, who has the resources to fight on all fronts. It's, it's really a very destabilizing moment right now. And I can understand why people are using that kind of language, but um, in, in many of the most kind of fascist types of policies, um, there, there are continuations of what's been happening, unfortunately. Uh, you know, this country, we have to remind ourselves, has been in a perpetual state of war for a lot of years now. Um, yes. During the Obama administration, President Obama was was bombing, I believe, a, a list of seven countries on a regular basis. Oh. So had the drone list every morning, the kill list. Um, and I think I, I read that for something like the last 20, 27 consecutive years, we've been uh, dropping bombs in, in, in one country, and, that, and that's Iraq. Right. Well, it, it, I'm more concerned right now of them dropping bombs in this country because... I just got uh, word that there's a new leak that uh, he, there's talk of deploying the National Guard uh, to collect, uh, okay. yeah, refugees. And for, what, uh, for what purpose? Uh, to, 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 to collect un- undocumented yes. immigrants? Yeah, if he mobilizes the National Guard, uh, what would that be called legally? I mean, uh, constitutionally. Is that possible? Well, you know, it sounds sort of like a martial law to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you look back in in the history of this country, there have been times when the National Guard has been deployed uh, internally uh, during the Vietnam War and the protests against the war um, and civil unrest um, uh, over over race. Uh, the National Guard uh, was deployed uh, uh, quite a bit uh, in that period of time. Well, as it stands right now, and this is uh, not an alternate fact, they have the uh, missiles pointed at the Indians in uh, North Dakota. At the uh, at, yep. that's true, isn't it? That they've got what is it called? Standing uh, Rock. Apache yeah, missiles. I, I saw photo, I saw photographs of of uh, you know surface to surface missiles of some sort. You know, mm-hmm. some kind of major type of artillery. 
um, uh, in North Dakota at Standing Rock. Uh, so, you know, you see this all across the country. I remember when uh, you had the Boston Marathon bombing, uh, we saw a highly militarized police force response. And uh, this is something that's been happening uh, again. It, it's, it intensified a lot during the Obama administration, uh, where the Defense Department, the Pentagon, was essentially um, uh, giving uh, uh, its its armaments to local police departments around the country. You know, it's surplus uh, uh, war materials, mm-hmm. and and you see an incredible militarization of local police forces. Which you know everybody kind of likes it, I suppose. If if you know there's uh, a terrorist attack, let's say uh, somewhere close by, uh, but if it's suddenly going to be used um, uh, against uh, peaceful citizen protests, uh, you know, public opinion, public support for those, those kinds of uh, militarized police forces, I'm sure would uh, would erode quickly. Absolutely, the uh, the. Uh problem they're having in North Dakota we're going to probably have here if they with the uh, hopefully with the well, Seminole Indians didn't they stop it like in the Pembroke Pines area down here they uh, filed lawsuit against them for <clears throat> to uh, what was it uh, for fracking for frack, for, yeah for fracking yes and yeah, there, uh, there's been attempts to frack right here in Broward County mm-hmm. and that was stopped by a lawsuit um, you know, what's happening in North Dakota, and uh, it does have parallels to what's happening in Florida with the Sable Trail Pipeline and hundreds of um, protesters who have been living in, in what we're calling water camps uh, along the Suwannee River and now south of the Suwannee River mm-hmm. uh, to put themselves in the path of the construction of the Sable, uh, uh, Sable Trail Pipeline uh, to try to stop the construction. And, you know, now in a Trump administration, there's lots of reasons to believe that uh, the response of law enforcement could be even more highly militarized than we saw during the Obama administration. Well, that's why I'm asking you, because that's my biggest fear right now. Innocent people, we saw what happened uh, over the holiday season in Dakota, North Dakota when the, uh, when, when the military, it was the police, the state police, uh, were actually just a senseless attacking of innocent uh, unarmed protesters, uh, which is I, re- I recall. Uh, I, I remember one woman had the, her her arm just about blown off, I believe. Uh, and uh, you know there were a lot of uh, uh, serious injuries actually. So it was a very militarized response. And uh, you know I think this is a valid concern to have. Um, you know especially now you see that the Republicans have uh, you know majority control of the House and the Senate the White House, uh, in, in many, many state governments, they've got uh, effective control, uh, which means to stop this very radical Republican agenda, you can't do it um, just by uh, getting the Democrats to stay, stay united and, and to resist, uh, as difficult as it is to get the, the Democrats to show much backbone. Uh, that won't even be effective if, if, if the Republicans have the votes which I think does explain why there is much, much more activity of, of folks taking to the streets and demonstrating in the streets to try to stop and, uh, uh, the policies that are alarming us all. Which is wonderful to see uh, people uniting in that fashion. But uh, again, my concern is uh, where will they draw the line at violence against innocent protesters? Um, I, I can tell you, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, please. 
Well, when uh, the organizers of the Women's March in Miami uh, that Nicole and I attended uh, was so well organized. I mean, it was almost like an outdoor party. It was fun, and it was mm-hmm. safe, and the cops were, like, very cooperative and very uh, polite to everyone. Uh, if uh, they they pass these bills, there's some Republicans right now proposing a law uh, that which is, goes right against uh, the First Amendment, uh, proposing law to stop protesting <laughs> in certain cities. Incredible. <laughs> it's yeah, I, I was not at the Miami Women's March. I was in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. You know, at the Million Women's March there, and and it, it was orderly and peaceful and inspiring. Um, I, I share your concern, uh, especially I think when the protests are directed against entrenched corporate interests, like you see with these uh, protests against the Dakota Access Pipeline and now mm-hmm. the Sable Trail Pipeline. Um, there's much more of a tendency for the police forces to uh, to use violence against peaceful protesters. Uh, quite often, that's what these uh, you know big private corporations want them to do. And uh, you know, under the 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 the, uh, the heading of defending uh, their private property, um, so there's certainly a, a cause to be concerned. And and even beyond that, if if there is not a violent backlash by the police against protesters, uh, it, I, it still leaves me wondering how effective these protests um, will be in the long run in stopping things. And you know, it, they have a, a tendency to exhaust us. Uh, folks are getting out there, getting into the streets, and 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 demonstrating uh, on many different fronts. Um, but I know with the Sable Trail, for instance. It, it has not stopped. It has not slowed down uh, or, or stopped uh, the construction of this pipeline. Uh, so it leads us to uh, looking for other types of tools to fight back at a time when, um, again, one party controls uh, the legislative process at the federal and the state level, mm-hmm. and um, protest seems to be ineffective in achieving uh, the desired results to stop. Uh, uh, this environmental catastrophe from unfolding, you know, stop the, the construction of this pipeline. This, uh, I've been calling it the sinkhole pipeline because it goes right through sinkhole country. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, that's why the Environmental Protection Agency uh, initially raised red flags before, it, you know, it got beaten back by industry and political pressure to, to backpedal on it. Uh, so, um you know, we have to find other other tools to fight back against this agenda. And and for for many of us, it's led to the conclusion that about the only thing we have left is, you know, our collective power of the purse, uh, essentially uh, citizens um, engaging in a broad based divestment movement uh, to start taking our own savings out of the fossil fuel industry to start changing our own banking practices to move our banking activities from big banks that fund the pipelines and fund the, the oil and gas companies to local credit unions and community banks that are not engaged uh, in the fossil fuel industry. Yes, but we need that in high numbers. It's, it won't do any good at all if there's not millions cooperating. I'll, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking You're, about. They had this uh, uh, strike for democracy which just came to my attention today, and the strike for democracy is today. 
This is yeah. what I call lack of organization. If they're going to have something like this, at least you want you may want to get this information out in advance so people can plan for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems yeah. to be. To- I agree, and 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 I was sympathetic to these calls for you know strikes like this, but I, I I was making the point when I would speak to activists who were planning this that you know when you take a look at U.S. labor law, it's not conducive <laughs> to national strikes. Uh, you know, the Taft-Hartley Act of 1947, which was passed over President Harry Truman's veto, mm-hmm. uh, it makes it illegal for workers to go out on political strikes. It makes it illegal for workers to even engage in secondary boycotts. Mm-hmm. So I, I've been... if it literally was a national strike that was being planned, mm-hmm. any citizen, any employee who is walking off the job for a political purpose, you know, to express their dissatisfaction with broader political uh, matters rather than their own working conditions on their own jobs, uh, they could be uh, they could be fired and not have any recourse. So, you know, again, you see that our choices are somewhat limited. Mm-hmm. I agree completely with what you're saying that a divestment movement will not work unless it's very broad based. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 1980s we saw that there was a very broad-based divestment movement in this country and worldwide that helped bring an end to apartheid in South Africa. It took a long time. It took years for that, um, that divestment movement to, to build and reach a, a, you know, a critical mass. Right. Uh, and we don't have years now, but we do have social media and the internet, and it's a lot easier to start um, using um, those tools to educate and organize folks. And in just a short amount of time, in just the past really, I I think it's in less than two weeks now, we've seen the city of Seattle has uh, voted to divest from the fossil fuel companies. Uh, They're they're breaking a $3 billion Mm -hmm. contract with Wells Fargo because of Wells Fargo funding the Dakota Access Pipeline. And then in short order, um, a number of other cities are on the verge of following Seattle. Um, Most notably is the city of New York with a $180 billion pension fund. Uh, But you got Santa Monica talking about it as well. Uh, So this is becoming, uh, and I would think if New York does it, it's going to really help galvanize the movement, spread the word, Mm -hmm. educate a lot of folks. And, you know, we're working hard here in Florida to spread the word. Um, Unfortunately, up until very recently, hardly anyone seemed to have even heard of the the disabled trail pipeline, except for, you know, scattered opposition in the north of Florida and and a few local newspapers in the north of Florida. Well, for for Um, the benefit of our audience, I'm sorry, for the benefit of our audience, could could we go over exactly what the disabled trail pipeline is going to do? Sure. I'd love to. Thank you, Brittany. Um, So. You know, some people say Standing Rock is everywhere, that all across this country, there are new pipelines being built, and many of them are really not necessary for fulfilling our own energy needs. Many of them are being built, for instance, like the Sable Trail Pipeline, it certainly seems it's being built to export liquefied natural gas to countries like China. It's not that we we don't need it here in Florida. We have uh, the infrastructure already in place to meet Florida's energy needs until something like 2024. Mm-hmm. So the Sable Trail Pipeline is a $3 billion, 515-mile uh, pipeline that's being constructed through Alabama, uh, Georgia, and uh, northern and central Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, the point of this pipeline is to transport 
about a billion gallons of fracked gas a day. So it will support the fracking industry where the fracking is occurring outside of the state of Florida, but moving a billion gallons of that fracked gas right through uh, northern and into central Florida and really right through sinkhole country. So this is a pipeline that crosses underneath and alongside some major rivers, the Crystal River, the Santa Fe River, the Sewanee River. There are endangered species, including endangered manatees in some of these rivers. And uh, perhaps most alarming is that this is the home of the Upper Floridan Aquifer, which is one of the world's largest freshwater aquifers that supplies 60% of the state's drinking water. Now, when you take a look at the um, lower Floridian Aquifer, that's the the, the aquifer we have here in South Florida, uh, between the South Florida Aquifer and the, the Everglades, you're talking about the drinking supply for 8 million people, about a, a third of, of Florida. The, that aquifer here in the south of the state is already uh, suffering from what's known as saltwater intrusion mm-hmm. because of rising sea levels, uh, because the water flow coming out of Lake Okeechobee has been stunted by the sugar plantations. These are environmental problems that have to be addressed. Uh, some are more easy to address than others. I, I mean, Good luck dealing with the rising sea levels. This is a a global problem now, the climate change, the the melting of the the polar ice caps. But if the South Florida drinking supply, if this aquifer here in South Florida becomes increasingly salinated, Mm -hmm. that means it's so much more important that we take care of the upper Floridan aquifer that the Sable Trail goes through. Yes. So the aquifer in northern Florida and central Florida is held in place by a thin layer of karst limestone, a very permeable layer. And um, should there be a major accident, a a breaking of this pipeline at some point, uh, that means there will be um, a leak of fracked gas into into the aquifer and it will endanger the drinking supply. Uh, so, you know, there are environmentalists and scientists who are concerned that, you know, we could wake up in the not too distant future and the entire state of Florida could look like Flint, Michigan. Yes. Well, many uh, people, and, and, yes. I'm and sorry. what's the purpose of the purpose is real. If, it, if it's really to to just simply export fracked gas to China, we're going to play Russian roulette with our, our drinking supply. It, it's quite alarming. I might understand that they're going to ship it out of uh, Port St. Lucie. Is that where they're going to? This, this is what I've heard, and I'm okay. still looking into it, but I believe that uh, liquefied natural gas export facilities have been permitted um, around Port St. Lucie and Martin County. Uh, so I, I think that's going to be a major um, uh, you know, export point, yes. Many people, um, uh, don't, they don't understand that although Florida is surrounded by water, it is a mm-hmm. very fragile resource for us. Uh, we take advantage of the, our aquifer which is to the west of us. And uh, people don't understand that it's limited. It has to be cared for. It has to be protected. And what's happening is, as, as you said, Tim, the, uh, the salt water is now seeping in. Hey, I've been to Fort Lauderdale, uh, A1A, Fort Lauderdale Beach. You go there and uh, when the, the moon is full and the, and the tide is high, as Blondie yeah. once said, uh, you can't drive there. It's all underwater. Yeah, we're, we're seeing some uh, somewhat of the same in parts of Hollywood Beach, 
And down on South Beach, it's a real problem around uh, Alton and, and uh, you know, on that side of South Beach, I believe it's a, it's a major problem. And it's only going to get worse. Um, so you've got saltwater intrusion, you know, as if that's not enough. We're now going to start gambling with the rest of the water supply by building pipelines right through the heart of, of uh, the aquifer and sinkhole country. So as we use more and more water, that puts more pressure on the sinkholes. The mm-hmm. sinkholes develop, these big cavities open up uh, as a result of uh, the pumping of, of water, the use of water. And, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I think three years ago, uh, there was a, a man, uh, I think a 34-year-old man in Florida who was asleep in his bed when a sinkhole opened up <laughs> out of the blue, uh, swallowed up his, his home, and, and he was never found. He was killed. And they never found um, him? You know, they never... No, they never found him. Oh, never my God. Him. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's the most dramatic example. There are a lot of less dramatic examples where sinkholes open up and, you know, swallow up some real estate, uh, some, some, some major roads uh, will collapse. Uh, if, if one of them opens <laughs> up underneath the pipeline, you know, it's guaranteed to break the pipeline open. Uh, so, you know, we really are playing roulette with this. And, you know, you, you often hear, well, we need that gas. You know, we need this. We no, have a petroleum-based economy. Mm. Well, you know, in this day and age, it doesn't have to be petroleum-based. You see countries like Germany where they've got they're so advanced in solar and wind and, you know, sustainable renewable fuels that at this point, the, the, the utility companies in Germany are actually paying consumers for energy because consumers have solar panels on the roofs of their homes. Mm-hmm. They're generating uh, uh, energy and they're selling that energy to the grid, so to speak. Uh, you've got China that has a very advanced solar industry. So the U S is way behind. And there are studies now that are showing if you, put solar panels on half the acreage of the Sable Trail Pipeline. So the Sable Trail Pipeline is 515 miles you know, by uh, roughly 50 meters wide. If you took half that acreage and put solar panels on it, you would generate more energy. Exactly. More energy than the pipeline is. Yeah. This yeah. Is- and a lot more sustainable jobs. It's, it would be very good for the economy. You know, the pipeline construction create some jobs in building the pipeline. Once the pipeline is completed, uh, the projections are that there'll be fewer than 50 full-time permanent jobs created by the Sable Trail Pipeline. Whereas when you're creating solar, when you're building panels, the construction of the panels, the production of the panels, installation and maintenance, it it becomes a thriving um, jobs um, creation uh, program uh, uh, that's, that's ongoing. Well, to a point. Once the pipeline's built, then the jobs are gone, right? Outside of maintenance, I would well, say. Well, that's, that, that's what I'm saying about, about the pipeline. Whereas for, for, for solar, you know, that's what I'm saying. It's ongoing. The, the, the building of solar panels, the uh, installation of solar panels, the inspection and maintenance of the solar panels, that, those are what's much more uh, um, job creation than building a, a pipeline to, to move frack gas. I find it embarrassing to live in a country where every other advanced industrialized nation regards solar and wind as conventional forms of energy, where we don't. Right. Uh, we're still living in the well, 1950s. I think the, the people are way ahead of the politicians here. You know, look at Florida. Last year, 
almost 73% of the voters on August 30th voted for solar uh, mm-hmm. in, a, in a statewide referendum. And that after Florida Power and Light and other big, you know, electric utility companies, um, uh, private energy, fossil fuel companies spent tens of millions of dollars in a propaganda campaign against it. And still <laughs> the people got organized, social media came alive, and we voted that down overwhelmingly. You needed 60% to pass. I'm sorry, that, that referendum we, we passed, that was the real solar amendment, needed 60% of the voters to, to pass it. We got almost 73% approval. And then FPNL came back <laughs> with a fake solar amendment on the ballot for November 8th, and that we voted down. Again, yeah. after a big propaganda effort by, by Florida Power and Light. So the people are way ahead of the politicians here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the people understand this is the sunshine state. We have plenty of sunshine. Uh, they, it's not lost on folks that other countries, major countries like Germany and China, have thriving solar industries now. And so they vote for it here. They want solar in the sunshine state. Well, so we- why don't we have it? It's because of entrenched corporate interests that are lining the pockets of our politicians. But these corporate interests can profit just as highly from from solar as they are from fuel. It's I don't see why they're so short sighted about it. It's it's amazing to me. They won't lose. It is short sighted, you know, and and part of it is, you know, old industry versus new industry, a a sunset industry versus a sunrise industry. Mm -hmm. You you look at oil and gas industry and they they've sunk so many billions of dollars of investment into their infrastructure. Uh, and they look at solar as um, a threat that would render their investments that they've already made uh, worthless. And, you know, the, there's some cause to be alarmed. Uh, more and more folks are looking at the fossil fuel industry and saying, look, this is the, the uh, major contributing factor to climate change and it's time to move beyond it. Uh, so, you know, solar and wind and the other renewable sustainable alternatives, uh, are seen as big threats to, um, to the existing investments well, they in should, fossil fuels. They should embrace it rather than be threatened by it. And then they profit even greatly greater because Elon Musk, and I don't mean the aftershave, but Elon Musk, yeah. uh, he, I, I'm not, I'm not sure what happened with this. He made a proposal to the city of Orlando to, solarize uh, several uh, skyscraper office buildings there uh, mm-hmm. and make them uh, independent of the electric grid. And I don't know what would happen with that. It was probably struck down or something, but what a great idea. You see, this is the problem that the uh, solar companies, Elon Musk and, and the like, uh, they're pioneers of, of a, a great form of energy that, that is plentiful and will last uh, for millennia. But, it's expensive. This is the problem they're having now. I know that uh, FPL has a campaign running against these uh, the solar companies saying that, oh, if these solar companies come in, your gas, your electric bill is going to go up. Right now it's nice and affordable, which it isn't. Uh, that's their propaganda campaign currently against solar. Uh, but uh, they're completely wrong, well, as well, you know. It's not just, F- it's not just FPNL. Uh, a couple of months ago, the New York Times published a report that the Koch brothers, the billionaire Koch brothers, uh, have a, a group that they fund called Fuel Forward. Uh, they're spending tens of millions of dollars in um, low-income neighborhoods to try to convince 
mostly uh, poor African-American and Hispanic um, neighborhoods Mm -hmm. that fossil fuels are good for them because fossil fuels, they they claim, keeps their utility rates low and that solar energy is a way to redistribute, you know, to have the poor subsidize wealthy white folks to put solar panels on the roofs of their homes, of their big homes. And, you know, this is such a distortion. Like I said, in Germany, um, the utility companies are now paying uh, consumers uh, for energy because of, of uh, solar on the roofs of ordinary folks. Yeah. You know, well, and that's the kind of economy we could have. If we embrace solar, it would be very good for low-income folks uh, rather than uh, people being dependent forever on uh, the fossil fuel industry. In, that ca- in the case of Germany, the, uh, the power providers were willing to cooperate with uh, the public, with, with uh, just the regular people there. And they sat down and they, they ironed out a deal. And as you say now, uh, if you're a homeowner in Germany or a business owner, you get a check back from the power company. Uh, which also, so, the, the, yeah. so the question becomes, why can countries like Germany and China be doing this? And we can't. And, you know, Germany is a, is a country that's, I would argue is more democratic than what, than, than we are. And um, they've got stricter campaign finance laws and therefore um, their political system is not um, as infected uh, by the influence of private corporate money. And then on the other extreme, you've got China, which, you know, is a totalitarian one party state. So when the party decides they're going to move in a certain direction, they can move in that direction. U S is in this, (laughs) Uh, you know, this, the, the kind of political system we have is one where, you know, you have powerful uh, interest groups representing uh, uh, large private corporate um, uh, that are able to shower uh, money in the political system to influence uh, policy outcomes. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that becomes the, the real impediment, I think, to these rational solutions to, to real environmental problems. They, they totally ignore it, and they have no, no, I, I, the way I like to put it is, as much as Trump talks about his bogus wall, I think the wall is already built, and that's uh, towards progress, towards moving forward. There is a giant wall that the Republicans have, and some of the Democrats as well, as you well know, <laughs> for us to actually advance any further. Uh, te- technologically, or uh, technologically, we're way behind. We used to lead the world, and now... We're like uh, in the dust. So getting getting back to the Indians for just a moment, I've always thought uh, that if the Indians, back when this country was young, when it was forming, and uh, the cowboys and Indians, that sort of thing, if the Indians back then had cell phone technology, I, I really believe we'd all be in teepees right now. <laughs> <laughs> because and so what is it about cell phone technology that you think um, uh, um, allows people to resist um, in a way um... uh, oh uh, simply because of this they didn't know how many there were they didn't know how, all the Indian nations they had no idea there were millions and millions of Indians different nations different tribes and whatever and if they united well, things mm-hmm. could have gone a different way. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because the same thing can happen with us. We have communications at our disposal. All we need is the uh, motivation and drive that they would have had. Mm-hmm. And I see mm-hmm. that happening at the uh, uh, 
Dakota Pipeline. Uh, uh, what I want to see happen is uh, more action taken uh, in uh, North Florida with the Sable Trail. And I think that the biggest problem we face is that media is not covering anything at all. They're not going near yeah. it. I, I can't imagine why. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get yeah, the word exactly. out? Well, look, you, you, we all know why. It's the corporate <laughs> media. And mm-hmm. So it's not just it's not just the politicians that have been um, co-opted by the corporations, but mass media uh, in their desire to maximize their um, the advertising rem- revenue. Uh, you know, they they will placate these corporate interests. Um, you know, I, I find it shocking. Uh, you know, we reached out to the Sun Sentinel to speak to them about the Sable Trail Pipeline, and we were told they'd already endorsed it, which uh, we've been looking. We haven't been able to find a, an editorial in which uh, they endorsed it. Uh, I'm going to be uh, trying to contact um, the, the editor-in-chief and see if uh, we can get our hands on that editorial. But, you know, it, it is something that um, very few people here in South Florida have heard of the Sable Trail Pipeline. Yeah, we rely on papers like the Sun Sentinel and the Miami Herald and, you know, the local TV news stations. And they've done an awful job uh, in covering this. Uh, most people have no idea that this pipeline is being built. How about the papers uh, in the north part you, of the state? Like north, north of Orlando, the papers up there, like the Orlando Sentinel, the uh, Jacksonville, are they reporting well, on even, it? Even, even smaller papers, uh, local papers, have reported it much, much better. Okay. Um, and, and now online there are places to go where people can learn much more about it. There's Spectra Busters. Uh, that's that's an, an organization that has a website uh, okay. where you can learn a lot about the Sable Trail pipeline. There's Resist Sable Trail. And, and our group, Progress for All, people can go to progressforall.org. Um, we are... Uh, our website is, uh, we already have a website up, but we're about to relaunch it uh, within just a few days. We're going to have uh, links on how folks can divest and get much more information on the Sable Trail Pipeline. We uh, circulated a petition online, and we are approaching 100,000 uh, wow. signatures on this petition. Well, that's petition. great yeah, news. Any day now. We, we have over 99,000. Um, and if folks want to go to progressforall.org, they can sign up on the petition. We already uh, went knocking on the door of uh, Senator Bill Nelson's um, <laughs> office in Coral Gables. Uh, at that point, we had about 90,000 signatures on the petition. Mm-hmm. And we're still waiting for Senator Nelson's office to get back to us. Now, we've requested a meeting with the senator. We want to speak with him about this pipeline. Mm-hmm. Senator Nelson um, voted against the Keystone XL pipeline, this massive pipeline project, mm-hmm. you know, out west that goes through the Montana and the Dakotas. And um, that pipeline, when he voted against it, he, uh, he, his statement was that he was concerned about the, this huge aquifer that Keystone goes through mm-hmm. and the, the, the danger to the drinking water of millions of Americans. Well, you know, Senator Nelson should be as concerned about the, the aquifer here in his home state and the drinking water of his own constituents. Yeah, he's got to drink um, it, too. So, well, we're wondering why he hasn't been as engaged in this issue. And uh, our own research has shown, uh, you know, I say our own research, it's, it's research that was really done by the Center for Responsive Politics. Yes. Uh, it's available for anyone to see at opensecrets.org. 
that Senator Nelson has taken over $73,000 in campaign contributions from Next Era. Next Era is the parent company of Florida Power and Light. It owns <laughs> FPNL. Okay. So that's on the Democratic side. On the Republican side, you've got Governor Rick Scott, who has personally uh, he has over seven hundred thousand dollars invested in the pipeline company in in the, yeah. the joint venture that's that's building the pipeline. And you know his defenders will say, well, that money's in a blind trust. Yeah. And uh, you know it just rings hollow to me. I I, I think you know Governor Governor Scott. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, is blind in his trust for for Florida Power and Light and for the fossil fuel industry. Have you seen him lately? Governor, uh, uh, well, I was just going to say, this is a governor who outlawed the use of the, the phrase climate change in, mm-hmm. in state offices. Yeah. It's just incredible. And then he slithered back under his rock because I could, I could tell everybody who doesn't live here, we rarely see this guy. I mean, he'll slither under a rock and disappear for months at a time. I think the last time he appeared was for the uh, uh, the massacre in the Orlando nightclub. Uh, that was the last time I saw Well, him. there was that. Uh, I, I remember seeing a video of him going to a Starbucks to get coffee, and some uh, <laughs> some citizen, some woman was there and just yes. started yelling at him, and, uh, you know, he he was uh, sort of heckled out of his morning mm-hmm. coffee, I guess. And Nicole has the audio from that, and I don't know where it is, but yeah. But that was prior <laughs> to the uh, Orlando uh, tragedy. And uh, <clears throat> speaking of tragedies, uh, about the, uh, again, about the... Uh, the North Dakota pipeline. The yeah. if people on people listening to me to access, go online and look up Apache missile system, if that doesn't give you the spilkies about what they're planning to right. do, this is yeah. what we're facing, ladies and gentlemen. And I have Tim Canova here to yeah. give us the answers on how we can resist and fight. And one one way to do it is go to progressforall.org. That's a good start. Am I right about that? Thank you, for <laughs> Yes, thank you. Really appreciate that. Well, can... uh, you know, Progress for All is a group that we started after my campaign last year. Mm-hmm. And my campaign was funded completely by small donations, uh, mostly online donations. Uh, I made a vow at the beginning of my campaign that I wouldn't take a penny from any corporate interests. Uh, and we stood by that pledge. Uh, we never took a, a, a cent from any uh, corporate political action committees, no, no corporate PACs, no corporate interests whatsoever. And we made the same pledge when we started this um, community action group called Progress for All. So it exists just um, on the fundraising from small donations. And we have a, an office in downtown Hollywood and a small staff. And, you know, it's growing and we're getting lots of volunteer energy now coming our way. Mm-hmm. And we're uh, we're trying to organize on these fronts that uh, it seems like in n- nobody else is is um, I shouldn't say nobody else. There are groups that are that are getting active on and have been active for a long time on Sable Trail, but they need allies. They need all of us to to pay attention and to step up and spread the word and and contribute to the cause. Do you have any idea how uh, tremendously huge your support base is? It goes all around the country. Well, you know, it's funny. During my campaign, Wasserman Schultz um, uh, tried to attack me quite often that I was taking outside money. <laughs> and, you know, uh, first of all, I had more donors in the state of Florida than she did. And uh, she was taking a lot more outside money in the form of uh, corporate money, uh, 
uh, you know, corporations uh, oh, yeah. that were chartered in the state of Delaware or New York were contributing to her campaign. And I used to freely admit that I was bought and paid for. Uh, I was bought and paid for by the American people. Uh, we had mm-hmm. over 200,000 donations online, uh, an average size of $17 for each donation. From where, then? It wasn't um, all from Florida, though. It was from all over the country, yeah, uh, and and probably probably ninety percent of them were from outside of Florida, uh, but you know the ten percent that were inside Florida, we had a lot more donors in the state of Florida than Wasserman Schultz did, and this is somebody who had been a congresswoman for twenty five years, you know, or I should say, a congresswoman for uh, something like fourteen years and a, a member of the state legislature for a dozen years, so she mm-hmm. had been in politics here for twenty five years. And I had been a candidate for all of eight months, and I had a lot more donors in the state of Florida than she did. Yeah. So, you know, the people, people waking up, uh, I think people are attracted to that kind of a message that I had mm-hmm. and, and that kind of a pledge that, that, you know, I can't be corrupted. I will not take corporate money, period. Well, that's why we and, love you. Um, that's, why we're, that? we're, that's why everybody is so deeply in love with you. And news of that is, is going coast to coast. I mean, weren't you on uh, uh, Jimmy Dore's show in, in California? Um, they know about I you. I was there? just on Jimmy Dore. Jimmy Dore interviewed me a few days ago. He's a funny guy. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a nice interview. I really enjoyed it. Uh, oh, I adore uh, Jimmy Dore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. Very good guy. But what? It, yeah, we got a, we got yeah. a lot of support from everywhere. I mean, it really was a national campaign uh, in in the kind of. Um, attention that it was getting. It was the largest um, congressional race in the country, and we broke all kinds of records uh, for, uh, uh, for a, a House candidate. Uh, <laughs> we, we raised more money online and small donations uh, for a House race than had ever been raised before. And as far as uh, the percentage of our money coming from small donors, um, I think uh, as defined uh, at $200 or less, uh, we we um, we broke all records. We had a, a higher percentage of small donors than even the Bernie Sanders campaign did. What, that's phenomenal. That is amazing. And for just a, a, a small district in South Florida to actually have that impact yep. throughout the nation. And uh, well, uh, I felt I, yeah. I felt very grateful. I still do feel very grateful and and very responsible to the folks who who let me, uh, you know, who who. Um, who supported me uh, in, uh, you know, who, who made contributions to, to our campaign. Um, a lot of times these were people on very limited means um, who were parting with just a few dollars at a time. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I took very seriously uh, that I was their voice and, you know, that my campaign was to represent them and, and not any special interests. When you get so, that, you yeah. know, when Wasserman Schultz would, would claim that I was taking outside money, well, you know, I was taking money from nurses and school teachers and, yeah. you know, uh, workers from uh, firefighters, you name it, from all over the country. And you know what? The concerns of nurses and firefighters in Iowa are quite often very similar to the concerns of nurses and firefighters here in South Florida. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, you no, know, it's outside money. It's such, such political yeah, it, well, speak, you know. You know, I, I, I got swift voted by, by her campaign uh, near the end. Uh, they photoshopped um, a photo of me speaking uh, with senior citizens at Century Village. And uh, in my hands, they, they photoshopped that I was holding wads of cash. <laughs> okay. As, as if I go out there in public holding wads of cash when I speak. 
You know, it, and, you know, this was the, the thing, and uh, this is why I call it swift boating. Yeah. When you take a look at Wasserman Schultz's record, she was the epitome of what's wrong in this political system. She was swimming, has been swimming in corporate money. So she's really taking outside money, money from outside the district, big corporations, and she's been pushing for their interests over those of Florida. And um, there were many examples of this from private prison companies that she was, you know, supporting uh, to payday lenders, uh, you name it. Mm -hmm. There was sort of like a for sale sign up. Uh, and she brought that same culture to the Democratic National Committee. Unfortunately, she overturned President Obama's ban on corporate lobbyist donations to the DNC. And, you know, how is she going to address the charge, which is true, that she's been swimming in corporate money? And, mm -hmm. and it was true. It was politifact checked by the Miami Herald. They said it was true. So her way of dealing with it was simply to accuse me of doing it. Yeah. Because after all, a high percentage of my contributions are coming from outside of the state. You know, well, true, in $17 increments. And, and outside your district, if that counts. Yeah, exactly. You, you had South Floridians, uh, Nicole and I among them, contributing to your campaign. Yeah. We were not in your district, so, so I guess they can uh, uh, classify that. They as can a... call that outside money. <laughs> oh, it's all your fault, Brittany. You were giving me money. You See were that? influencing me. Spend that $20 <laughs> wisely. Because, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it reminds me. Cause and, you, and, you yeah. know, and I'll say this, we did spend it wisely. Yes. You know, I, I, I resisted spending a lot of money on expensive consultants. Uh, we, Bernie Sanders in his campaign here in Florida, in South Florida, he had one field office mm -hmm. in the entire South Florida region. And he opened it in late. In my campaign. Yeah. And he opened it late. That's yeah. right. In my campaign, I had four field offices in my district alone twice as many as Wasserman Schultz. We employed a small army of volunteers and field organizers and deputy field organizers. And it was the largest ground game this district has ever seen. Yeah. To uh, me, they were knocking. My team was knocking on 10,000 doors a week in the Florida heat in the Florida summer. It seems to me, and I, I want to litigate the primary, but it seems to me that uh, Bernie wrote off Florida as Hillary wrote off Michigan and Wisconsin. I think you're right. And, um, you know, I, Bernie had, you know, financial constraints, every campaign does, mm -hmm. uh, but he spent an awful lot of money on the Tad Devine firm, $62 million for, for TV uh, at a time when it might not have been so necessary. Bernie was going viral. Uh, people were learning who Bernie was without the expensive commercials. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Florida is what the, the third most populated state now, uh, uh, you know, very important state. And to all but ignore the ground game in Florida, to concede it before, you know, beforehand, uh, I think was unfortunate. And, uh, yes. you know, I'm not trying to second guess Bernie's campaign. Uh, you know, I'm no, just I'm saying not, that I'm what not a lot either. of folks have been saying, which, yeah. which is that we wanted to see more of him here and have a bigger footprint here. Well, see, we, we learn from our mistakes and the big mistake we make is not uh, is to make them again. And, and hopefully, exactly. unlike the DNC, who does not learn from their mistakes, as we saw here with the uh, Florida Democratic chair. <laughs> but Well, that's that is true. Um, you know, and, you know, all the talk about Russia, uh, uh, you know, attacking Trump on Russia for everything. You know, there might be reasons to be concerned about uh, Russia, but 
it certainly seems like it's a convenient distraction so that the establishment of the Democratic Party doesn't have to talk about their mistakes yeah, in this election. Exactly. That that gets swept under the rug. When you try to bring that up, you're, you're, you're told, well, look, uh, we don't want to air the family dirty laundry. Why are you talking about it? Why are you blaming, uh, you know, the, the, the establishment? Why are you blaming the DNC? We should all be singing the same tune, blaming Russia. Uh, well, it reminds me of a family where there's some domestic abuse. Yeah. Sweep it under the rug. Don't talk about it in public. But the problem is when you don't talk about it, you don't learn the lessons, and it's more likely to keep happening. And it has, you know, it wasn't just the 2016 presidential election. You know, it oh, no, was the, 2010. It was 2014. Oh, yeah. And each time, they, they, they had you know, it easy in 2008. The same leadership. That, that brought those catastrophes in 2010 and 2014, they stayed in place. And now even after 2016, you still have Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> you still have Chuck Schumer. <laughs> you know, the same failure gets rewarded. That's the problem. They'll, they'll be there till uh, 2036. And they're, they're probably yeah. going to try to run Hillary in 2028. Uh, they're not going to give up right. with their stupidity. And yeah. I, <laughs> I'm sorry? We, no, no. I'm, oh, because I'm I was agreeing. at that, that DEC meeting uh, that you hosted when we had mm-hmm. uh, four great candidates to, to chair the Florida uh, DNC, and uh, all four of them lost two to one nobody wanted. <laughs> it's like, this is how the DNC works. Well, we're going to pick who we want, and you vote for whoever we tell you to, and you better enjoy it and like it and obey us. So that's got to go. We're going to... We're yeah. not going to take any seats back in 2018. Well, well, I haven't heard wh- which one you're running for, but but hopefully you can make that announcement on this show. <laughs> uh, well, maybe at a future show. Oh, um, it's okay. too early. It really is. I think yeah. folks don't. Most most people really don't want to be focused on 2018. I, I certainly don't. Um, you know, these are, these campaigns go on forever. It seems. So you know, for at least the next few months. I'm, I'm focusing my efforts on trying to stop the Sable Trail pipeline, on trying to get a statewide ban against fracking in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in time, yeah, there's a, there's a possibility I'll run for, for office again. But, you know, we can talk about that well, down I, the road in the future. I, I thank Yashki for you. I thank uh, whatever it is above uh, that uh, we have you because uh, we have someone. Thank you, Brittany. Uh, you, you fight for us. You work for us. And uh, I got to tell you that uh, both of the uh, political organizations I'm on the board of, uh, they party and uh, do cartwheels when you when you appear. Everybody gets very <laughs> and uh, well, you know, y- yeah, you you were talking about um, solar energy and how more freely available it is. And it reminded me of, I think, a mutual friend of ours, Mitch Stolberg, yes. who now has the Broward uh, uh, Progressive Democrats of America chapter. Mm-hmm. And he was just telling me recently that they've got technology now developed where in the construction of roads, I, I don't remember the details of it, but it will now um, reflect the heat back. It won't absorb it. Um, so they've got all kinds of technologies which should be implemented to reduce the carbon footprint, to reverse things, but they're not being uh, implemented. They're, they're not being followed in this country. They're being followed elsewhere. Right. You've been a real gem uh, staying with me uh, almost an hour on this show. I appreciate it so much. I, I can't tell you how much I... You're very welcome, Brittany. Thank you for what you're doing. Yeah. You know, we talked about how corrupt the mainstream media is and how folks don't 
really they get miseducated. They, they, they don't learn basically what's happening. Well, it, it puts that much pressure on you and people like you who are broadcasting, you know, to be independent voices and to be speaking truth. And, and I applaud you for what you're doing. Well, thank you. But uh, for Nicole and I, it used to, what used to be a fun type of task, a, a profession we used to enjoy, now it's become a civic duty almost. Yeah. We have a responsibility. Yeah, these are these are terribly uh, frightful times. Nobody knows what's coming next down the road. Um, you know, Trump is so erratic. Uh, you, one wonders what kind of uh, damage he's capable of. Uh, it's it's a crying shame. He's he's the Frankenstein that was created by the Democratic mm-hmm. National Committee. That's what the WikiLeaks showed. Mm-hmm. It showed a Hillary campaign and a DNC that wanted the Republican candidate to be Donald Trump or Ben Carson or Ted Cruz. And their friends at CNN and MSNBC went out and helped make it happen by giving all this free air coverage to Donald Trump. And, you know, they Mm. thought he was the one candidate Hillary could beat. Wasn't so. You know, the DNC really messed things up. And Wasserman Schultz was right at the center of it. As head of the DNC, she should have been recruiting a big field. You know, not just Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren. It should have been an open door to try to get a big field of good Democrats, progressive Democrats and have as many debates in public forums and showcase what we had and let the chips fall where they may. And instead, they tried to clear clear the field for one candidate who had a lot of problems the whole time. She was under an FBI investigation. There were a lot of problems with with Secretary Clinton. And, you know, they thought Trump was the one candidate she could beat, and they were wrong about it, unfortunately. Yeah, very wrong, at all of our expense. Exactly, exactly. Well, Tim, thank you once again, and uh, I hope that uh, we follow through on that arrangement we made earlier. Um, uh, we can stay in touch with, uh, via email. And uh, You got it, Brittany. We, we, thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it was great. What a great Friday this is. The uh, whole chat and the entire audience thanks you for, for being with us today. Thank you. All right, have, well, a, have a great weekend. You as thank well. Thank you so much. Take care. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Tim Canova, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, was that great having him on there. And uh, the chatters have been, uh, how come, wait a minute, hold on a second. Skype is not responding. And here we go. Everything was going swimmingly well. Uh, Yeah, I agree with you. Oh, by the way, I should say uh, to our good friends at Progressive Voices, uh, we're going to be signing off in uh, just a couple minutes. But I wanted to ask you, and I got both chat rooms up right now. Uh, would you like to go to phones for a little bit before I exit the premises uh, for a long time? <laughs> wow, 58 chatters. Would you like to do that? Yeah, I'll hang, I'll hang for you. That'll be great. And uh, let me put my push ba- my uh, uh, punum back up there. And it, uh, uh, Tim is gone. Well, well I, I don't know what to say. I am so flattered. It's not just <clears throat> his sincerity. It, it's just so... You don't see that anywhere. It's 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 rare, especially a, a man as brilliant as him. Um, I wanted to ask him, but I didn't want to make a fool of myself, uh, which I normally do. But the question I wanted to ask him was, how long do you have to practice law before you finally know it? But I, I didn't want to make an idiot of myself. Remember, you can hear Brittany Summers every week on 95.3 FM, WWNN, 1470 AM, and thebritsummershow.com.